Pastor Ed Taylor says the total commitment to the Lord is not just for a select few. My heart is committed to sell out for Jesus Christ. I'm committed to it. Jesus has done so much for me that I can't give him back enough for what he's done in my life. I can't do enough. I can't, I can't just surrender enough in my life to repay the great and wonderful gift of life that Jesus has given to me. But see, in your life, in your life, it's the same thing. You don't have to be a pastor to be sold out to the things of God. You don't have to be a leader to just give yourself completely over to the love of God. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Commitment issues. I'm sure you've heard the term. Many say they're committed, but seek to keep their options open. That's a recipe for a very shallow relationship. It's time for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. In our study of Romans, we've learned thus far that God wants a deep relationship with us. We shouldn't settle for anything less. Commitment is necessary for depth in any relationship. So is understanding the desires of those that you're in a relationship with. Now to help you answer what God's will for you is, from Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, here's Pastor Ed. What is the will of God for our lives? None of us would really argue with the eternal will of God for our lives. As believers, we don't really have a problem with the long-term picture of our lives. If we were to be asked today, where would you go after you die? The answer for you as Christians would say, I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to meet him face to face. I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. And there's this settled presence. Although the enemy is always throwing darts your way to make you doubt your eternal promises of God and what he has promised you eternally, there is in your life a surety and a substance by faith in Jesus Christ that say, yeah, I believe for the eternal will of God in my life, I'm going to live with him forever. And yet when it comes to daily life, it's a different story at times. I mean, what's the will of God for our lives? It's a question that we ask ourselves, if not daily, moment by moment. Like, God, what would you have me to do here? And how would you have me to do there? And what do you want me to do with this? And how do you want me to act here? What do you want me to say, Lord? What don't you want me to say? And these questions roll off of our lips and in our minds continually as we seek God's will for our lives. Daily. Oh, we believe God for the eternal will, but we doubt God so often for his daily will, his provision, what he's going to do today about that bill, or where will I live, or how will this relationship work out, or what about that grade I'm waiting for at school, or the medical tests that come my way. God, what and where and all sorts of fears and anxieties and concerns and worries come up. But Paul says, here is the pathway to discovering the will of God. He starts out in verse 1 of Romans chapter 12, and he says, I beg you guys, what I'm about to say, I want you to listen. And it's worth me humbling myself and begging you to listen to me. And you know, it gets to a place where there's desperation in a heart when you begin to beg, when you're really 
urging, where you're wanting to come alongside and say, would you please see this from my perspective because you're just not seeing the big picture. I beg you, Paul says, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And that really is where that pathway of strength comes, where we commit ourselves fully, wholeheartedly to God, all of our lives, every part of our lives. He doesn't say, oh, come and give part of your life to God. Go ahead, give that little area of life to God. Go ahead and just kind of pick and choose what areas of life you'd like to surrender. But Paul says, no, no, I want you to give it all. And he's specific. He says that you're, give your bodies Everything about you, not portions, not things, not bits, not pieces, not things that you have chosen, not areas where you think, well, I think I'm ready now for God to deal with this. No, all of your life, he says, surrender all of your life. For 2,000 years, pastors have been preaching this message and teaching it to churches because so many Christians just aren't willing to go all the way. I don't know what it is. I don't understand it. I don't understand what it is about us in our humanity that says, you know, I'll go so far and I'll go any farther. I'm going to give so much to God and I'm going to stop short here. I'm not going any farther than this. I'm not taking any further step than this. I'm going to give him this little piece and that little piece. And so over the years, the Holy Spirit's been stirring congregations, stirring believers. Why won't you go all the way? I would venture a guess that as an unbeliever, when you live for the world, You live for the world all the way. It doesn't mean you had a horrible life. It doesn't mean that sin wrecked and destroyed your life. Often we'll think of testimonies that way where, oh man, you know, I live for the world and just wreck my life and I ruin my life and I ruin my liver and all. It doesn't have to be that bad. You can simply live a life that's in full rebellion to the things of God and still be a good person. We don't equate that, do we? We don't equate good person, rebellion to God. It's possible. It's possible to do a lot of good in this world, but not for the Lord. To have a lot of care and concern for humanity, but not for the things of God. And I don't understand what it is where we think it's okay to stop short of giving God all of our lives, everything about us, total commitment. Paul here, he appeals to a holy, separated, acceptable life to God. As Jesus purchased all of you and me, every part, every decision. And so he says, give all, give everything back to him. Give your whole life, lay it on the altar as a living sacrifice. It reminds me of the story of the pig and the hen that shared a yard right next to the country church. And they noticed one day on the country church sign, they put up on the sign that there's a special outreach, a special offering for this outreach to the homeless and to the hungry. And so the pig and the hen, they come together and they start talking about it in their little area there. And they go, we want to, we really want to help the church out. And so the hen says, you know, I think I know what we could do. Why don't we offer them a bacon and egg breakfast? And the pig thought about it for a moment. And he says, I only have one problem. There's only one wrong thing with your idea. For you, it only requires a contribution. But for me, that means total commitment. You gave me a little bit better courtesy laugh than Saturday night did. I was almost ready not to share it, but I said, oh, no. First service is going to laugh. They're going to get it. (laughs) But it's true, is it not? Total commitment. Total commitment. 
we may find ourselves in a place where, well, I'll give a little bit, I'll give a little bit, because I know I'm not giving everything. But in our minds, we've got to realize that God is asking for everything. Everything. Church, listen. You would not. I don't understand it. I don't understand in my mind. I don't even try to understand. I just pray and I seek the Lord. But listen, you would not settle. You would not settle for your pastor giving you a half-hearted commitment to you. You wouldn't settle for it. I mean, let's think about it. Let's say I had a rough week. I had a long week. And indeed, this week was rough and it was tough. I don't have a newspaper here, but for the sake of illustration, let's say this is a newspaper. And I come in and I go, hey, guys, great to see you guys. Great worship. And then the songs were great. But, you know, I had a tough week. And, and, and yesterday was really, I was going to get my study done yesterday, but then I had to get up in the morning, I had to go to the market for my wife, then I had a thing with my daughter's softball, then my son had a baseball game, I barely made it to service, and I didn't have any time last night, I was tired, I fell asleep, so hey, I didn't really have time to put a Bible study together for you, I'm sorry, but I do have the morning newspaper, so why don't we just talk about that for 45 minutes? And I just went through the morning newspaper and, oh, did you hear about this story? And did you hear about the avalanche? And check this out. The draft was yesterday. And the end of a, you know, if you stuck around for any length of time with a pastor like that, it would be horrible. And so there's an expectation in your heart, in your life, for your pastor and his wife and his family and the leaders of this church to go full force, wholehearted, total commitment. But when it comes to you, it's not the same. That's not fair. That's not fair to the Lord, to your own life. Because whatever your expectation of me is, let me just tell you, my heart is committed to sell out for Jesus Christ. I'm committed to it. It really, I don't need anybody's expectations on my life. Jesus has done so much for me that I can't give him back enough for what he's done in my life. I can't do enough. I can't, I can't just surrender enough in my life to repay the great and wonderful gift of life that Jesus has given to me. But see, in your life... In your life, it's the same thing. You don't have to be a pastor to be sold out to the things of God. You don't have to be a leader to just give yourself completely over to the love of God. Now, be careful here. Paul's not talking about, he's not saying perfect. He's not saying without blemish or spot. He's not saying that a person sold out to the things of God has everything in order or together. But I'll tell you, it's better to be sold out to the things of God than to be half-hearted or to be double-minded or to be wishy-washy in your commitment to Jesus Christ. I mean, when you think about Jesus giving his life for you, what, did he give only part of his life for you? Is that what Jesus did? He only shed a little bit of blood? He's only forgiven you for a little bit of your sins? Or does not the Bible teach us that Jesus Christ gave everything? He shed all of his blood to cover all of our sins past present and future to bring us a hope and strength and encouragement for today. How, by the mercies and the grace of God, can we not give him and yield to him everything about us? And so we stir. And so, and so we hear Paul. And I can only imagine where he's at here in his heart saying, come on, what is holding you back? What is so attractive to you? Why won't you go all the way? Why is it that you've come up right to the edge and instead of rushing into the promised land, you're going to stay on the other side of the Jordan and live a half-hearted life when God's promised you everything? 
The motive for serving God, friends, is not guilt. It's grace. It's God's great love. He says, consider the mercies of God. And God indeed has been merciful in our lives. He has poured out his grace upon us. He has loved us with an everlasting love. He's going to love us, the Bible says, till the end. He doesn't just pull away his love from us. His love for us is to the very end. And then he says in verse 1, to do that as a living sacrifice, to live for him, to live for him. You know, if you were to go to the Jew in that day and talk about a living sacrifice and ask him to do that, they wouldn't have any idea what you're talking about because in their minds, sacrifices were dead. The animals weren't alive when they put them on the altar. They were dead. And that is the problem with a living sacrifice. Wouldn't you agree? Living sacrifices tend to wiggle off the altar at times. You start to think through what God is really asking from you. You go, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to do this. And God, he's so gracious, he condescends to our level to encourage us, to lift us up. You'll remember back, you can jot it down and read it for homework, but in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham is asked by God, he's commanded by God to take his son, his only son Isaac, to the land of Moriah, to take him up Mount Moriah, to offer him as a sacrifice unto God. I mean, that's a heavy-duty request. And yet what we read in Genesis 22 is that Abraham obeys. He takes a couple of his servants, he takes his son, he heads up to Mount Moriah, and he starts heading up the mountain to the place where that offering would take place in obedience, in full obedience, in full surrender. And as he comes up, God is so good and he's so gracious that at the point of sacrifice, God intervenes and he says, no, 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 I'll provide for myself a sacrifice a picture, a type of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And with Abraham, you know, in Sunday school, often that picture of Abraham and Isaac is Abraham, this big, strong man, taking his little five- or six-year-old son up to the mountain. But, you know, Abraham at the time of Genesis 22 is about 100 years old, and his son is probably in the realm of late 20s, early 30s. So it wasn't a picture of Abraham going up, come on, son, holding his hand with a red wagon going up the mountain, you know, we're going to have fun up here today, son. No, 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 let me give you the picture. It's, it's Isaac at 30 years old. He could have turned to his dad and said, hey, pops, pops. Uh, you're not sacrificing me, man. I think I could take a 100-year-old guy. We're going to wrestle over this, man. We're going to put you on the altar. But Isaac doesn't do that. Abraham obeys, Isaac obeys. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews that Abraham had things going on in his mind at the time. And although the request from God was really out of the ordinary and unusual, especially in light of God over and over saying, don't do what the pagans do, and the pagans would sacrifice their kids all the time, it was unusual for God to be doing this in his life. The Bible says in Hebrews is that Abraham's faith, he was thinking ahead that even if this went all the way, God would still resurrect this kid because God has promised. He's going to keep his promises. He was expecting something miraculous. And here they are laying a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Hmm. Back in Romans chapter 12, the word present, we've already looked at it, but it's worth marking again. That word present is a technical term taking us back to the priesthood and the offering of the animal unto God. But it also has the idea of a once and for all presentation. That this presentation is like, God, here's my life. I mean, church, think about it this way. Are you so far from your salvation experience that you've forgotten the goodness of God? Has it been that long? 
Has five years rolled by now that you're saved and things have become comfortable for you and you like being a Christian, you know, you think you've come to the place where I've given everything I can to the Lord and five years, I'm at that five-year stretch, I'm just kind of floating along and I'm cruising along and I don't need to give God any, and you've forgotten the joy you had when you were first saved, how at that moment in time, there was no reservation, no hesitation. When the invitation came for you to be saved, you said, here is my life, all of it. Because it was a wreck for some of you. And you're like, i got to give this over, and I'm going to give this over, and I'm giving everything. If I'm giving all these things, I might as well just give everything over to God. But then we start getting into a mode, a mode of, well, you know, it's not that tough anymore. God's cleaned me up. I'm not suffering the consequences really anymore of my sin. I'm not even sinning in those areas anymore. And it seems that although I'm not perfect, you know, I'm not, I'm not living a life of sin anymore. You know, I'm not, I'm not really thrown into it. I mean, I might dabble in a few things, but, you know, nobody really knows those things. It's amazing. You think, oh, you know, I can dabble. The statistics of, you know, the big sin that is grasping men and women today is internet pornography. As a pastor, you read those statistics, it's mind-blowing And you think, oh, you know, it's no big deal. I clean my computer up. Nobody would know. No, number one, you didn't clean your computer up. And number two, God already knows. Oh, no, Ed, I I wiped out the C drive. Well, bring it in. Bring it in. We've got some people. We've got some tools. We can search your C drive for you and see if you really did clean it up. I bet you didn't. I bet there's still little fragments, just like your life, still little fragments of sin hanging on in there. Oh, I've cleaned everything up, Ed, but there's still little bits and pieces there. There's still little things you're holding on to. See, at this point, for those of you that have victory over Internet pornography or don't have a problem with it or have forsaken it for years, you think you're off the hook. Go, that's not a sin I'm struggling with. But listen, if you're not fully sold over to the things of God, there are things you're struggling with. For whatever reason, I don't know. I don't know. The types of things, because believers aren't fully surrendering themselves and ourselves to God, the church is being wrecked. The church suffers. The kingdom of God suffers. Our city suffers because of our half-heartedness. The people in our office suffer because of our half-heartedness. The people on our block suffer because we're not totally, fully committed to the Lord. Jesus, he gets a black eye sometimes from our lives because we're just not ready or just not willing We've come to a place where we think, has it been that long since you got been saved? Has it been that long since you had that backsliding experience where you got saved and then you backslid into the world and you went back to the world and it was nasty and it was difficult and it was horrible and it almost wrecked your life a second time, but God, he delivered you again, pulled you out of the pit. Has it been that long since you remember the second time God delivered you or the third time God delivered you where you're not convinced yet? that it's worth giving your life to Jesus Christ. You young people, you high schoolers, you junior hires, you, you, those of you that are in college, this is the time right now. It's not time to be messing around. It's not time to be lying to your parents. It's not time to be caught up with the round crowd. God, he wants to apprehend your life right now so that you can make a difference in this world. But no, there's the temptations, isn't there? There's the peer pressures. There are the things that you think you can't overcome. Listen, in the strength of Jesus Christ, you can overcome any pressure, young and old. There's no reason to live half-hearted. That's where Paul is. He says, lay your life down. For those of you that read the Amplified Bible, I love this. Let me read this verse to you from the Amplified translation. Listen, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, 
brethren, and I beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice. And I like those words, a decisive dedication. Make the decision and then obey. And he noticed back in Romans 12, he says, it is a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. Or in some of your translations, it might say your spiritual act of worship. I like both. It is reasonable. It's not unreasonable for God to ask for everything from you. That's not unreasonable. That's very reasonable. He could do a lot more if he wanted to, but honoring how he created us with free will, he requests. He says, do it of your free will. You'll be blessed. And it's reasonable. It's not unreasonable for God to ask for everything from you. That's not unreasonable. Not one bit. And I love this word holy. Some of you, even just using the word, it scares you. Holy? Holy? Thinking of holy, that sounds like you, sounds like perfection. It sounds like, well, man, if God's wanting me to be holy, then, then he really wants me to clean up my act and straighten things out when all God wants to do that in your life. He doesn't want you to come all trying to clean up your life because you try to do it, you're going to be right back at the same place eventually. Probably in a worse condition. The word holy, I know we pretty much circled and marked every word in these verses, but you can circle it, put a square or a triangle around it if you want, and you can write right next to it, set apart, because that's really what the word means. It means to be set apart. The biblical word that we might hear from time to time is the word sanctified, just to set apart, to, to be apart, to be set apart. You know, we've used the illustration before, sort of like looking in your refrigerator and you have a particular pitcher that you use for one particular drink. You don't put milk in it because milk will mess it all up. And you don't put bright red juice in it because it's your orange juice thing. And so this is my orange juice pitcher. I don't put anything else but orange juice in this. I don't want anything else in it. Don't mix tea in it. Don't do any. It's for orange juice. And you might even put a big OJ on it. You could say that that pitcher is holy or set apart for a particular purpose. But let me give you an illustration that might hit a little bit closer to home. When you think of holy, think of your toothbrush. Because we don't share toothbrushes now, do we? Your toothbrush is holy for you. I mean, if your kid came up and said, hey, Dad, you got a great toothbrush, and you go, what? Yeah, man, I've... And you're like, what are you doing? That's my holy toothbrush. Bam, get your own. So we don't share toothbrushes. They're set apart. Like it's just disgusting to think of someone else using your toothbrush, isn't it? It's like, don't touch mine. Yuck, you got that green stuff in you and now it's on mine. No. Man, don't touch that. It's holy. And God, he feels the same way toward you. You are holy to him. He doesn't want the world messing with you. We'll get to that in the the next study together where we're to reject the world and and all of its trappings because we're separated unto God. It's to him that we live now. We don't kind of dabble and have one foot in the world and one foot in the church and and I'm going to live this way and I'm going to clean things up by Sunday. It's no, it's all or nothing. The Bible says Jesus does. No man can serve two masters. A vivid picture there on holiness. As believers, we're set apart to the Lord and not this world. 
We'll hear a classic and practical example of this next time when Pastor Ed Taylor returns to Romans 12 on Abounding Grace. If you enjoyed the content, why not share it with someone you know or give it another listen yourself at a later date? That's easy to do when you go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. I should also mention Abounding Grace is available by podcast and through our app. Search for Calvary Aurora. How close are we to the end? And is Jesus coming soon? Questions like these are being asked during the global pandemic. Don Stewart looks into this in a book we'd like to get into your hands. It's titled, 25 Signs We Are Near the End. Don examines what the Bible has to say about coming events and what will take place at the time of the end. And he does so in an easy-to-understand manner. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. It's your generous support that helps us come to you each day on this station, so thank you for standing with us in this difficult time. Call 877-30-GRACE, and we can take your resource request. If you'd just like to make a donation to the ministry, that can be done with relative ease online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or through the app. We live stream all of our services here at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. You can either go to our app or calvaryco.church on the web. You can watch us on Saturdays at 6 p.m., Sundays at 8.45 and 10.45 in the morning. Join us on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. too. That's Mountain Standard Time. We'll pick up what we left off in Romans next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Be blessed. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.